everyone, welcome back to But Why the Podcast, and today we are covering Japan's master of horror, Junji Ito. As always, I'm Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And we have a special guest to help me talk about all the spookiness, Simya. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so Spooky time. <laughs> These are the episodes where I thrive. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. I usually do pretty well on these episodes, I think. I, was, I think I kill it. I was going to put some I ask, images I try to in. ask great questions. I was going to... Oh, no. No, please I don't. I didn't. I didn't. I was going to put some images in, but then I remembered how you respond to my Junji Ito t-shirts, and I was like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Sinia, uh, why don't you tell us uh, why, like, uh, I guess, so usually we ask guests, like, why you're on here. Um, mm-hmm. Why are you on here? Uh, well, you asked me to, but also, <laughs> I I love horror, and with that comes a very strong love for Junji Ito, because he was one of the founding uh, creators that really got me to love horror so much. I read um, Uzumaki for the first time my freshman year of high school, and I've been in love with his work ever since. That is amazing, and that goes straight into my our first question to start off the pod, is what's your favorite Junji Ito story? Um, it depends on my mood. I consistently go between Uzumaki and Tomi, because sometimes I love killer beauty queens, and sometimes <laughs> I just reminisce and have that nostalgia for the first time I read Uzumaki. So it kind of depends, but I always jump between the two of those. Awesome. And for Adrian and Matt, what's your favorite Jinji Ito story? Or what do you know about him? Uh, um, oh, oh, go for it, Matt. Um, one, okay, I'll go first. Um, one, you all know why I'm here um, <laughs> at this point. Um, I don't know who we're talking about, what we're talking about, or anything we're talking about. I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> <laughs> As with any anime manga episode. <laughs> Adrian? Uh, man, I already forgot the name of the one that you guys just said. I was just going to say that one to be coy, but <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot what the name of it was. I was going to say JoJo's uh, Bizarre Adventure. Uh, yeah. No, I really have I don't. I don't. I mean, it's been three years. I, I don't do horror stuff, let alone read horror stuff. Uh, the only thing I really know about this is that Kate has very scary shirts that I saw um, the last convention that we went to. And I can see why this is her thing because those shirts are very disturbing and I'm sure <laughs> this stuff is disturbing and I'm sure it's like right up her alley, but like literally the opposite direction of mine, like the complete opposite direction. <laughs> well, my favorite story is I was going to say Tommy, but my favorite one we're going to talk about a little later is actually um, the man in the chair or the human chair. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Um, And it's just because it capitalizes on one of my biggest fears. (laughs) And we'll talk about that at towards the end of the episode when we get into a lot of Jinji Ito's themes. Um, but like, yeah, just until we get there, I'm just going to think that you're scared of chairs for like this entire episode. When we get there, and every time I see a chair in a game we play together or whenever you post a chair in your animal crossing thing, I'm just going to think of how you're scared of chairs I'm, until we get until otherwise. I'm sorry to say this, Adrian, but when we get there, you're going to be scared of all your chairs at home. 
<laughs> That's really yeah, well, funny. Here we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, as a shock to no one, I'm leading this episode because horror is my jam. But more specifically, horror manga and manga in general is something that is a very unique story tori- tra- storytelling format. Um, I, I don't even really like comparing it to American comics because it's a, they're they're fairly different. Um, and Jinji Ito was one of the first horror. I think he. I think like you, Sydney. I think he was actually the first horror manga I ever I ever read, and it really got me into body horror and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But for those of you who haven't picked up on it, Junji Ito is a Japanese horror mangaka. If you don't know what a mangaka is, it's okay. It is a term used to describe a manga creator. Usually the term is for people who both write and illustrate work. But now as uh, manga is kind of moving towards a format of having multiple um, multiple uh, people on a title, so more like traditional American comics, um, you, it's kind of just used if you're involved in manga making. Um, and Junji Ito was born in July of 1963 in Sakashida, now part of, uh, Nakatsugawa Gifu. Uh, he began his experience in the horror world at a very young age because his two older sisters would read Kazuo Umezu and Shinichi Koga manga. And if you don't know who those guys are, they are some of the horror big hitters before a uh, big big hitters before Junji Ito comes on the scene. So they're kind of like the old masters, I guess would be the easiest thing. Um, but this is a kind of really I don't I feel like every time we discuss a horror person, it's always somebody who read this as a kid and then just developed into this like horror icon, like Guillermo del Toro reading monster magazines and idolizing Universal Monsters when he was younger. Um, And ultimately what also helps shape him and his ideas of horror is the fact that he grew up on a countryside in a small city next to Nagano and in his, in his house, where the bathroom was, it was essentially at the end of an underground tunnel, and there were spiders and crickets, and essentially he uses this experience in a lot of his work, um, a lot of claustrophobia, a lot of isolation, and a lot of weird, weird bug things. Mm-hmm. Very <laughs> disgusting creatures. <laughs> uh, sometimes just bug legs on another animal. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's nightmare fuel. Uh, Ito first began writing and drawing manga as a hobby while he was a dental technician in 1984, but in 1987, he submitted a short story in Gekken Halloween, um, which is also monthly Halloween. It was a Japanese monthly magazine of shoujo that was published between 86 and 95. Um, easiest way to reference it is Shonen Jump. Uh, it's kind of like that, but spooky. Um, that story won an honorable mention in the Kazu Umezu Prize, with Umezu himself being one of the judges, which is one of those, like, oh, wow, this man is my icon, and now he loves my story moments, which led it to be serialized as Tomi, which was, which has been adapted into live-action film series with eight installments to date, as well as an anthology TV series, which was released in 1989. Tomi is a series 
uh, is a series of stories about a young woman who defies death and aging over and over again by essentially luring men and pulling them down into madness in order to fuel her own rebirth and immortality. So just like a normal... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. No. Just kidding. Just kidding, Twitter. Just kidding. It's a job. I gotta contribute somehow, okay? This is... <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I bet you Stefani's listening to this, so you'd have to explain that joke to her. No, it's okay. Uh, I mean, you've met, you've met my wife. <laughs> this is... <laughs> You can respond I mean, to... That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. You can respond to Viz Media's tweet about if you're thinking about her. Oh, gosh, yeah. Viz, Viz Media, who now has the publishing rights to Junji's work in the States in English, um, they kill it on social media when it comes to posting his stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just released an art volume, and so it's been a lot of it, but... Uh, specifically looking at Tomi, which was his first and kind of quintessential, I guess, like story that he's done. Um, Sinya, why is it something that, you know, you kind of listed as one of your favorites? Um, I think I grew up in that time where Jennifer's body like came out. So it was like the idea of like prom queen or like pretty girls kind of like killing men seemed really interested to me when I was like 15 or 16 and so when I read Tomi when I was around 16 or 17 and it was that same kind of concept but just uh, more glorified obviously way better written um, I kind of just loved the idea of people being driven insane by beauty because I think in a world where like vanity is so apparent I, I think it's a fun little like not only is it poking fun at that concept, but also it's terrifying. Like, Tomi's kind of actually super gross and disgusting. And people <laughs> see it, and they still love her for it, because she's just that powerful. I just think it's fun. <laughs> um, and that's one of the things that I also want to talk about, too, as we move into our first bit way, though, which is how, um, how Ido has shaped horror is really using some of these ideas of the feminine in a lot of his work. Like, I would say the vast majority of his work features a female protagonist. Um, but in order to kind of get how he's shaped, where we also have to look at where, where he's come from and the people who have inspired him. So in addition to Kazuma Mezo, Ito also cites Hideshi Hino, Shinichi Koga, and um, Yasu- uh, Yasutaka, Suitsi and H.P. Lovecraft as the major influences in his work. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft specifically because uh, if you don't know, H.P. Lovecraft is kind of one of the pioneers of cosmic horror. So kind of like these ancient gods hovering in the background that are just waiting to rip the world apart and come in from the seams. Um, so a lot of the times, uh, not a lot of the times, but in some of his writing you see a lot of like these eldritch god inspired entities um in power and scale um and it really comes across while also maintaining like a really distinct uniqueness um most of the time the universe that ito depicts is cruel and capricious his characters often find themselves victims of a malevolent un malevolent unnatural circumstances for no discernible reason or punished out of proportion for minor infractions against an unknown or incomprehensible natural order um i like this last part specifically 
because there are elements of his work that reminds me of a lot of like Mexican like folk tales. A lot of the time, like a demon or like a ghost lady will come after you for doing something ridiculously small and stupid. Um, <laughs> I didn't know and, that. <laughs> and that happens a lot in in Edo stories. Um, some of the recurring themes in Ido's work include jealousy, envy, body horror, and seemingly ordinary characters who begin to act out of irrational compulsions, the breakdown of society, deep sea life, and the inevitability of one's demise, all displayed in realistic and simple design, which helps contrast the ultimate beauty and death that you see in his work. So you have in when his work starts you have things that are extremely mundane things that are pretty things that are normal and as his stories continue they warp further and further and further into the grotesque and into things that are just uh i don't want to say weird but nightmare fuel nightmare fuel is the best word yeah uzumaki follows that structure very well as you know considering that that's one of his most accessible works <laughs> and why uh why do you think it's one of his most access- accessible ones um i don't know actually i've never really thought about that all i know is that like in my high school library like they only had tomi and uzumaki and when i go to bookstores um it's you know like the only two i can ever really find yeah. occasionally i you start to see more junji ito work but i think everyone loves stories about you know, small towns that kind of go awry. Like, it's a very popular trope, and I think he did that one very well, which is why I think they've always kept it in publication since it was originally, uh, since it, it originally came out. And I think you're, I think you're right that it's a really good kind of example because you start with a small town and then you end up with a spiral death fest. Yes, and it's <laughs> horrifying and gross. <laughs> um, and, and I really do uh, encourage people to just kind of look up a lot of his illustrations because there is a beauty behind them. Like, they're, they're grotesque and they're weird and they're scary, but they're always tethered to some piece of, like, elegance to it. Like, it's not just ugly to be ugly, which I think is something that, you can be really heavy-handed with in horror. It's the reason why uh, a lot of, like, gory movies or uh, even just body horror movies in general can take it so far left that you lose remnant pieces of beauty. And he does it really, really well, and he does it consistently throughout all of his publishing. So one of the things that I found really interesting is that Tomi was actually inspired by the death of one of his classmates. Uh, He felt strange that a boy he knew suddenly disappeared from the world and expected him to show up again. And that's how he came up with the idea of a girl who was supposed to have died, but then shows up as if nothing had happened. Gio, 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 I forget. I'm not sure how it's pronounced because I've never said it out loud. Um, is also another one of his famous works, and it was influenced by his anti-war feelings that he developed when he was a child due to his parents' war stories. And then you also have The Hanging Balloons, which is based on a childhood dream. So he pulls from all of these real-life pieces uh, to construct a horror and construct horror storytelling that, yes, deals with things on a cosmic scale and deals with grand kind of 
narratives, but is also really grounded in the things that are human. And I think that that's something that sets him apart, but also pushes a lot of other horror manga to start hitting those, uh, start hitting those beats as they start coming out. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, no. Oh, no, I was going to say that I think that's another reason I really, really love his particular brand of horror is because I feel like I've had some of the nightmares that he's had. And like when I read interviews with him where he was just like, oh, yeah, I was just thinking about how weird that would be. And it's like so (laughs) clear that he has the strangest intrusive thoughts. And sometimes I'm just sitting and I'm like, what if there are like giant spiders in my bathroom? And like, sure enough, like you could probably find pages of a Junji Ito work where they're just like spiders just everywhere and I I just it just kind of gets under your skin while also being so appealing because the artwork always looks beautiful and very masterfully done that it's just like ah this is terrifying because I feel like this could happen and I don't like that (laughs) and I mean and it reminds me of uh there's another one of his stories and I can't remember the name I think it's called Grease but he it was inspired by the fact that in while he was in school to be a dental technician in his dorm he was expected to sleep on a mattress that what had turned brown from the sweat of people before him and like sweat and grease and all that causes pimples and so essentially what he did was he wrote a story about a family that lives above their restaurant and the oil and the aroma from the restaurant would essentially came up through the floorboards and through, you know, just rows and covered the entire house and everything in grease. And you have these siblings with a very volatile relationship who essentially, I don't want to give it away, but it all leads to them developing pimples, which then there's a panel where all those kind of get pushed out. And it's it's crazy. And Ew. it's literally just all stems from he was like, oh, this is a really gross mattress. And if I get a pimple from this, this is going to be awful. And he <laughs> wrote a story about it, um, which I think also really there's a sentiment in what he does that really uses the mundane so the everyday pieces of life and twists them in a way that makes them recognizable but also makes them interesting and i think that the reason he's able to do that is in our next but why though which is specifically he likes to play by the rules um so when we look at horror greats a lot of the time we're talking about how they're innovating and how they're subverting the genre into something new and actively doing that but that's not Ito's goal, and he's talked about it a lot. He's, which is interesting because he's impacted horror manga and horror storytelling. So Ito has impacted horror storytelling even in the West. Um, it, I mean, he's friends with Guillermo del Toro, so that should tell you something. Um, and he's done that by respecting the laws of horror, which he sees as vital to his work, specifically when he talks about himself as a master of horror. Um, he says that he's an inheritor uh, rather than an innovator of horror manga. So whereas some people see themselves as a trailblazer, he sees him as just continuing to the con- contributing to an existing great legacy and not rewriting it. One of the ways that this is specifically shown in his work is how he depicts women in his stories, because 
in in the West and really in horror overall, whether you're watching J horror, K horror, American horror, um, even European horror, you have this idea of beauty and innocence and purity, specifically of female characters that is replicated in the genre. And this is something that you find a lot of in Jinji Ito's work. And it's been a pain point for some people, um, like it has been for the genre at large, um, especially because often these these themes that often see women dealing with really violent things can also dip into eroticism. Um, but for me specifically, I see it as how he breaks down a feminine ideal and he warps it in a way that makes it terrifying, visceral, and cathartic at the same time. And he he plays with ideas of purity and innocence, but he also uses that to tell to tell a broader I guess bring out a broader a broader narrative. Um so there's there's one story called The Fashion Model and it it's one of it has a panel that's that circulates all the time. And essentially she's this really grotesque woman who somehow became a model and a film director decides to uh cast her as as the lead and they go into the forest to shoot and they end up just realizing oh she's more monster than supermodel uh, than fashion model and it's a giant look at how people perceive beauty and also how people are measured by beauty and it kind of causes you to cast doubt on how you see things and so he uses these concepts in a very traditional way, but he also uses them in a way that allows the story to tap into things that we're dealing with. And I, I also think Tomi is a really great example of using beauty and the feminine to tell a, a larger story, kind of like you, how you mentioned, Cindy, at the beginning. Yeah, I um I do know that there are criticisms where people don't like, I don't know, like inherently... Uh, like idealizations of women in horror and they yeah. you know often cite that like Junji Ito is a proprietor of that but um oftentimes the stories that I have read because it's it, I haven't read everything of his just because there's not necessarily a large amount of his stuff in publication in America mm -hmm. still there's a lot of his short stories that just haven't been like translated or published but when I read Tomi or you know when I read like The Hanging Balloons or even Uzumaki, I never feel as if the female protagonists are there to be eye candy in the sense that, like, that's all they exist for. Like, he is always thinking about symbolism and tapping into critiques of society and how people view not only girls, but, like, whatever they're dealing with and stuff like that. And just, like, one of my favorite, like, horror protagonists is, uh, I think her name is pronounced Kairi in Uzumaki because mm -hmm. she is beautiful but also she's smart and she's like hey there's something wrong with the town that i live in um what is going on and she's <laughs> brave and she's courageous and she you know she'll do whatever she can to like help her friends and her boyfriends and even though she is you know going a bit stir crazy in this like small town where everything is going awry i never feel like she's being objectified or like lowered as a person because she's a woman even if there is that sense of idealization within Junji's art for her and also Junji doesn't and I guess like the best way to phrase is like Junji isn't afraid to show women as monsters mm -hmm. alongside their beauty so like Tomi is great because it's like Tomi is beautiful and she's radiant and she's eternal 
but there are people that view her as like this grotesque looking monster like that famous picture of her with like her second head coming out oh, yeah. and it's it comes from like uh, a guy was painting her and he's like oh yes I finally captured your true beauty and she gets so mad because she's like I don't look like that I'm not a monster how dare you and he's like no but you're so beautiful and I think it's just a very interesting idea to toy with the uh how you view yourself isn't necessarily the right way that you are I guess is the best way to say it yeah yeah I think and I think too like what you touched on is is really it's how do you explain it it's the discourse that horror in the U.S. has gone through because you have immediately when the slashers rise you have a lot of people critiquing the final girl and the idea of a final girl and not without merit like there are issues to it but then in the mid-2000s and as and and now we're having a revival of final girls um being defined by our generation in a very different way it, it kind of shows you that like there isn't anything wrong with the trope per se it's how people use it and so I think sometimes when somebody reads a synopsis of something or just looks at look, looks at art, it's really easy to dismiss it as buying into the trope fully as opposed to allowing somebody the, the breathing room to use that trope and to do, uh, to do more with it, mm-hmm. uh, if that makes sense. Because um, that's something that is always at the forefront of discussing horror is how horror treats women because when you look at horror film in the u.s horror film is the i think it's the most female driven stories with the least female driven or the least female directed directors and writers at the helm of them and so that's also been a critique of looking at women in anime and manga Um, And so it's kind of akin to, and and I don't really know too much about like the broader horror scene when as it pertains to manga outside of Junji. Um, And so it would be interesting to see like how that kind of corresponds. Um, But I, I personally really like his work and I've never really seen some of the sharper criticisms of it. Um, I often kind of, which not saying they're not valid, but I'm just kind of like, I don't know if we read the same thing kind of (laughs) yeah no that's that's very similar to how I feel whenever I see people say that I'm like did you read it yeah (laughs) (laughs) which I guess sounds kind of mean but I don't know I feel like maybe there is the sentiment that like manga and I, I see this often like manga isn't to be looked at critically but I feel like if you are to look at any manga critically and really just think about it outside of its outside of the fact that it is illustration and word bubbles like Junji Ito packs a lot of stuff into either his short stories or just general you know serials oh yeah 100 percent. and uh all of that wraps into how he's really become a master of horror because when we say master of horror we think of literature like Stephen King or you think about film like John Carpenter but Ito is a master, not despite being a mangaka, but because he is a mangaka, because he does create manga, because it gives him a unique view in the horror world, because he writes stories that are short and long, he draws them and he creates surreal, otherworldly, 
worlds and ideas and there's also immense use of body horror um and when we talked about stephen king being a master of horror one of the things that we brought up was the fact that he's adapted endlessly because his horror is accessible, but also because his horror has a lasting power. And in the same vein, Ito's very first series, Tomi, has been adapted into eight Japanese films, which were a series that ran from 1999 to 2011. And they also end up being able to recreate the manga's atmosphere and really be held kind of loved. Um, he also has an anime based on his work. Uh, it's an, an, an anthology called the Junji Ito Collection. And two episodes of that are adapted from Tomi alone. Um, and there are, I think, I looked it up. There are pretty much a live action adaptation for almost all of his stuff. Um, but I couldn't get a concise number. And then there are also varying animated adaptations as well and in 2019 Alexandre Aja who did the Hills Have Eyes and High Tension what and most recently uh, Crawl was announced to be developing a web series for Quibi called of Tomi um, in conjunction with Sony Pictures Television and Universal with David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick serving as writer and executive producer with uh, Hiroki Shiroda as the co-producer on the series. So it's still like that, that one story is still being used today as, mm -hmm. as, as being adapted, um, which yeah. I think speaks to its power, but also Junji's staying power as a creator. Mm -hmm. Did you know about the uh, Toonami adaptation for uh, Uzumaki that's going to happen? They yes. released, they oh, released a trailer for it, and it was absolutely stunning. <laughs> I have not seen the trailer. So I have it, I think, I don't forgot where I put it, but I did put it in here that they're going to be putting it on Adult Swim, which I forgot is Toonami now, because it happens at night, which is weird. I can't wrap my brain around around Toonami happening at night. It, it It's weird for me. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's going to be amazing and it's going to be accessible to an American audience, which like you said, a lot of his work is still just in the Japanese. Um, and Viz got the rights in 2016, so they've been putting out more stuff. Um, I think they translated Shiver, which is one of the collections. Um, mm -hmm. And I think they have more coming out as well. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Um because I know, so you said you had it in your library, which blows my mind. We did not have these kind of books in our library. <laughs> uh, we had like Dragon Ball Volume One for our manga selection, like that was it. <laughs> um, but for so, like, like listening to this, it sounds a lot like when we talked about not exact same because obviously not the same rights, different kind of medium of storytelling. But it sounds a lot like a like when we covered um, scary stories to tell in the dark yeah. with some of the things obviously not quite as visual right just because it's not how like the book was written but is it just purely because it's coming from a japanese market and that's why it's not as popular here because i feel like all of my friends would have loved this just as much as they loved you know goose maybe probably younger but like, probably like goosebumps and then older scary stories to tell in the dark is it just that or is it just newer so it's like having a like resurgence here kind of thing like, why isn't it bigger here is, like, my big question. Is it just because it's Japanese? I would say yes. Um, so, if from... How do I explain it? So, for me, 
I've always known about it in my in the horror circles that I've been in. So like horror fans know who Junji Ito is, even if it's just because they have prints of his panels um, and they've read Tomi and maybe Uzumaki. Like those are probably the two that I would say most horror fans who do things outside film have read. But I think to your point of it not being like like scary stories or just being everywhere, I think it is because it's taken so long to translate and because it's a mature title. Like, it's it's the fact that it's going through two barriers. Like, when you look at a lot of anime that or manga that gets translated very easily, it's the shonen titles or even the shoujo titles that are aimed at that smaller, or that younger audience because it's broader and more marketable. Um, but then when you shift that over to a higher age bracket, you end up closing closing your available market to to go to it so I think a lot of it was not necessarily a priority there was a research not a resurgence but there was a small shift in publishing I believe when J-Horror kicked off in the U.S. so The Ring, The Grudge, um, Audition when those started hitting the rounds you saw an uptick in kind of people who knew him but he's been around since the 80s and it it I think it's just now kind of hitting US mainstream because it's from it it's from Japan in a way that is kind of gated by multiple things. It's mature content, it's horror content, and it's not necessarily coming from a large serialized magazine, which are kind of all the factors that allow all of the shonen series to air on on Toonami and Simuldub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no Currently. i completely yeah. agree so, it's i mean oh no you go sorry <laughs> yeah i was just, I was gonna, just gonna ask i just given that like do you think that it's gonna happen like do you have faith that like this is going to get back because i mean not that like a 2019 like web series isn't a cool thing right but that's not as big as yeah. like del toro saying hey i'm gonna adapt this thing into a movie which i was gonna ask why don't we have a lot of movies then yeah because, I mean, yeah. if it's big in horror circles, right, you would think that, like, horror people will be like, hey, Junji Ito, like, let's make a movie of your stuff. I think, because Americans love horror stuff, right? <laughs> horror, horror. Do we like horror? Yes, but horror. Like, horror people in America like but horror. But horror fans, <laughs> that a better horror way to say fans that? also don't like American adaptations of other uh, people's things. What if, like, Del Toro Because it's it? very different. I, 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 if you, re- so horror is specifically driven by fears and those fears are usually coming from the culture that the horror is created from so like our exorcism stories look very different than exorcism stories in korean films for example um because we have different fears and so when you adapt it you end up losing some of that in translation because you're pulling it over into a new culture hoping that the fears translate but then also making those fears translate by changing elements of it. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I don't have that. I don't understand that fear of chairs just yet. <laughs> oh, you will. Maybe it's just a cultural thing. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> but no, I see what you mean. I see yeah. what you mean. Like, so I, it's, I, yeah. it's, that adaptation wise, I can see that. Yeah, but there well, are a lot get, of they films. They get like the guy. Like, they get like the guy. I, right? You know what? Like, I think. Does really good adaptations. I think Tommy could really succeed in the US. I think if they did an American, which they're doing on Kiwi, but if they did a movie of it, I think it would work for the US. I think it would. I think the world is ready. I think yeah. I would I would like it. 
<laughs> would yeah. like it very okay, much. Okay, let's, let's not go movie. What about like like I mean, it has series, right? Yeah. And anthologies. Like, would you would you rather see it in, in a movie form or like a Netflix? series where you can get more of it. I would be down with a Netflix series. And actually, I would be down with a Netflix series because Netflix series that are coming from other countries and they're still getting circulated and hitting those high watch rates on Netflix now. Uh, you see it happening with Korean dramas and stuff. I think even moving it to a platform like Shudder would be really, really cool. Um, there you go, Netflix, if you're listening. It. I know you are. <laughs> you have your yeah. executive producers right here. <laughs> Me and Matt. Yeah. I also think that something that really doesn't help Junji Ito's works get adapted, like on the Western end, is because when you translate it to film, there is a lot of like rating checks that are yeah. going to happen. And so um, a lot of his work is like, like suggested mature, but like for particular, one of my absolute favorite um, pieces of his is called like. The hanged balloons and a lot of people are like either decapitated or hung because uh like the faces of dead people are on balloons that have a noose on the bottom that like follow you until you inevitably like die as well and saying that is horrifying it's terrifying but like i feel like that like showing that on film would be very difficult to get it into like a like a theater or even like a mainstream like audience just because it's so it's such a like niche little like horror thing that most people are going to be like disgusted and repulsed by like the actual premise and i feel like a lot of his works are like kind of all a little weird a little niche because he derives a lot of his horror from like personal anxieties that he has or like personal traumas so i don't know i also feel it's like that where it's like how do you how do you get this to be marketable and like not shun like almost everyone out <laughs> Yeah, because I think, like, when you look at, like, horror that does well in theater, like, we're seeing things like Get Out, Hit, Hit, Hereditary, Midsummer, and these are things that are more grounded in reality, which makes sense, and I love them. Um, but when you look at Jinji Ito, a lot of it is really out there. Um, like, one of his stories, Jio, you have essentially... Matt, you'll like this. Sea creatures decide that they're going to take over the world. And so <laughs> they start coming up from the ocean, but they have like mechanical insect legs. Um, it's disgusting. That doesn't translate that well for film. Um, so it gets a little hard. I think if there were more mass produced anime on these things, like I think like a, to like a, a solid like 24 episode Tomi anime. I think that that would hit, like dubbed in English and stuff like that. Um, like I think Uzumaki, when that comes out, I think it's gonna be the big thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a game changer. I feel it. I know it. Yeah. It's gonna be so good. Yeah. Because. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to get you off track. I was just really curious. No, it's it's, it's a really good yeah, part like... of the conversation. Like it it because it is something that like I've kind of wondered. Uh, because it is like I get to talk to it to like a random horror person on the internet every now and again, but, like, I don't get to have the giant conversations that I have about, like, Sailor Moon or My Hero Academia. I don't get to have those those conversations about Junji Ito. Um, and it, it's just because it's, it's genre-specific, but it's also very gated. Um, I think you were very right on the nose, Sinya. Gated in censorship. Because it's a lot to, to translate and bring over. 
um, which a lot of people don't realize how restrictive a lot of America's publishing things are. Because land of the free, but you can't really show a lot in, in different types of medium, so. But I want a Tomy series now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would be really bad. <laughs> I'd be really down for a Tomy series. Um, and that one would also be easier to adapt because it's really focused on her versus a larger cosmic thing going on. Like, I think a Tomy live action could be done in the U.S. fairly easily. Because um, we have those stories already about women, so it may be the easiest one to slot in for American audiences. Um, but yeah, so another one of the But Why Those is specifically how he does horror, and we've talked about it a little bit throughout this conversation, is that Ito's stories strike this balance between normal and horror, and his stories often begin in normality and then descend into madness of the supernatural or the monstrous kind and are usually never really resolved. And because there's really no solid, like, oh, this was a good thing, this was a bad thing, it leaves, like, a door open in your mind for that to just sit there and you just kind of spiral a little bit. I know I do when I read his stuff. Yeah, I, I think a lot. Like, I usually have to be like, hmm, much to think about yeah. <laughs> after I read anything of his. And it's also the fact that, you know, focuses on these mundane fears like the ocean, being watched, claustrophobia, like those are some of his big ones and they come up over and over again. And he's able to balance the buildup in the normal part of the story to really pay off with these explicitly grotesque illustrations. And for me, it's probably my, it's probably, it's, it's in my top five Junji Ito, but it's probably like my second or third is The Long Dream, is a really, really good example of this. And so essentially in The Long Dream, while she awaits an operation in the hospital, a patient named Mommy claims she has seen the personification of death and it paid her a visit. Her doctor, Kuroda, thinks Mommy is scared of dying, but the figure she mistook for death was really another patient, Tetsuro Mukoda. Mukoda is a man in a hospital bed who lives years, sometimes entire lives, every time he sleeps. When he wakes up, the time he spent in the dream is worn on his skin and his body slowly begins to degrade and morph into something that looks completely alien and frightening. There is nothing threatening in this story. Like, there's no monster or otherworldly creature and it's really just this guy who ends up succumbing to, like, these eternal dream cycles and you get to see his body just deteriorate into being this sunken and immobile like I don't even know how to explain it it, 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 it kind of just personifies the fears that we have around death and dying and it, it really makes the reader confront um, these ideas of mortality and what happens to the body um, in a very similar way to the Hearst song, Adrian, from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Um, people don't want to yeah, think I, about I, what I happens. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. <laughs> Just, uh, sorry, sorry, I'm going to go watch uh, Barney or something after this. Because <laughs> I'm picturing that dude, how that dude looks, and I don't want to look it up. I'm like really tempted. I'm not going to lie. I looked up Tommy, and I regret it. <laughs> I regret it entirely. So. Yeah, 
Um, additionally, another one of his strengths is the fact that he's really able to adapt other works into a manga format. And this is something that happens a lot, like a lot of mangaka or a lot of like famous stories or larger works that are just literature will be adapted into a manga format. And so one of my favorite examples of this is also my favorite story, which is The Human Share. In this, a writer goes into a furniture store one day and the owner ends up telling her about another author, author named Yoshika Tagawa. Tagawa regularly received letters from other authors looking for advice on their work. In one manuscript, a character hides inside the armchairs that he makes. The story unnerves Yoshiko because she fears that it's actually a confession and she starts to think that somebody is inside the chair that her husband just bought. Um, so it's really disturbing reimagining of Edogawa Rampo's story that has the same name. And the ending is different and a lot from the original. And specifically what happens is you just have her slowly realizing and, and he does these cutaway panels where you can see the body of somebody in the chair and her sitting on top of it. And it's terrifying. And there's one panel where they open up the back of the chair and you just see this hollowed out spot for somebody to sit. Yes, um, yes. I, I see that picture circulate all the time and I've never read that story. But every time I look at it, I'm just like, oh, God, ew. <laughs> like, I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> Which for me, like every time I hear something in my house, I think that there is somebody living in our attic and it scares me and I don't like it. Like, it's just <laughs> the idea because this one, like, there's nothing supernatural about it. Like, it's literally just this really ugly carpenter really, really just wants to be closer to this woman and crafts a chair to like live under her. Um, which is just absurd. And also I don't like when you buy something from the swap meet, maybe open up the back first to make sure somebody's not in there. Yeah, no, that's what I mean by like the, the, the fears that he writes about are like kind of weird and a little niche. And I feel like people who like don't have those like, like types of anxieties are just kind of like what the heck is this i don't get it why like that's weird but why is that scary whereas like someone like me or you kate we're like oh my god like every piece of furniture i'm gonna have to cut a hole into it and make sure there's no one in it <laughs> yep because i had never before i read this i never like i've always thought okay well somebody could live in the attic or something but i never thought of somebody living in a piece of furniture like it's just yeah questions yeah. thoughts concerns uh, yeah, I look at the thing. This one, this one's not as scary as the other one. This one's fine. Um, there's a 15 minute short drama about the human chair. Yep. Is it good? Have I you haven't watched, watched it? it. You have thoughts on that? I have not watched are it. You not, are, you, are you not down? No, I like. So this is the thing. <laughs> there, it is like, and like you said, like the images from this one are not grotesque and terrifying. It's just the mat, like. The thought of having somebody being right by you and not knowing that that person is there is just terrifying to me. <laughs> it's why home invasion horror movies scare me so much. Yeah. Dennis Quaid could have been in that chair. Dennis Quaid. I was going to ask, <laughs> is Dennis Quaid in the chair? I love that. That's where your mind went. I'm, I'm all about that. 
if you're if you're unfamiliar, Dennis Quaid is a home invasion movie, and he's very scary. <laughs> Real scary. Matt, any thoughts on the human chair? <laughs> now I'm just picturing his face, <laughs> his stupid smile that he has in that movie, is coming through a chair. Oh, great! That's awesome. Um, I don't know why this is terrifying. It sounds ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I just don't see like who sits around and thinks somebody lives in my chair. Um, you know how big a chair would have to be for somebody to live in it. Yeah, it was drawn. Hey, it was a there- giant armchair. There yeah, was that one episode of Always chair. Sunny. This is what I'm saying about like the anxieties of it, where it's like it's like if you don't have that anxiety for whatever reason, like I just think that people are gonna think it's just like ridiculous, and I think exactly. Matt just proved me right. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> Matt, I've you don't like... you don't you don't think somebody's living in our attic, right? <laughs> no. Exactly. <laughs> I've had. I, I, like, get so scared sometimes in my own house if I'm, like, by myself and I hear noises and I'm, like, okay, is someone here? And then, like, I'll go in through all of my doors and I'll open up the rooms and I'm, like, obviously no one's here, but, like, the thought still sits with me and I'm, like, oh, but, but what if? Because I have yes. anxiety and it never goes away and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, well, I'm sorry that it seems absurd to you, Matt. But the human chair is terrifying for me. Hey, they put they put Danny DeVito in that couch and always sunny. <laughs> it, could, it could happen, all right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you also go through a lot of the things, two of the things that he's really known for are specifically his body horror. Because when you look at the U.S., we see humans transforming almost completely into monsters and growing strange strange limbs and this the best example of this is Cronenberg's The Fly or The Thing where you have human bodies morphing into something that is entirely no longer like the process of transformation is not about maintaining human features it's about completely losing and for Ito his work really focuses on leaving the human body recognizable in all of the things that he does. So he warps the human body into something different and brings that element of body horror into it while still maintaining the fact that it, it's human. Um, there's a panel where it's somebody's neck and head stretched into a spiral, but it's very clearly still a head and neck. And it's weird, and I don't know how that man thinks of these things, but... This is really recognizable and it's one of the things that grounds his horror because you're not watching some person being morphed into a monster and then usually in a lot of western horror or western horror you have the person becomes a monster and then that monster then breaks with all humanity and you're just like oh okay I don't feel bad for them anymore let the movie wrap up whereas this any time a body is manipulated to look like something else, it's very painfully still human and still brings that empathic link to you and that character. Yeah, what comes to mind immediately, and I think about it, I actually just talked to my roommate about this recently because he just read Uzumaki not that long ago, is there is a chapter where um, Kairi's at school and there's like this really gross, like, like sweaty guy who like, turns into like a snail 
but as he transforms into a snail like he keeps his like human body for most of it and it's like genuinely disturbing and I think about it a lot and it gets under my skin because I don't like like slimy looking human snails that are like fully grown adults and it's just (laughs) I don't know how he does it (laughs) yeah it's like I don't know how he does it I don't know why he thinks of these things and like I love it because I can't look away because it's so gross but at the same time I'm like I wish this wasn't in my thoughts at like four in the morning when I'm wide awake and I have nothing better to do (laughs) (laughs) and then you have his monsters which like I I mentioned Jaya where it is essentially he pulls together different elements to just really make you just like oh this is not right um specifically like I mentioned the sea dwelling creatures emerging from the depths of the ocean to invade the land with insect mechanical legs Um, it's a lot. It's weird. Um, and then when you look into his other work, um, last year Ito won an Eisner Award for his manga adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And then some of his most notable works outside of the ones that we've discussed today are the Enigma Enigma of Amagara Fault, um, which essentially, uh, there's a fault in the earth and you end up with human-shaped holes appearing in it. Um, you have Tomi, which we've talked about, and then Jayo, and then you end up with some of his other works like Ido Junji Kyufu Manga Collection, and it's a collection of different short stories that include stories named uh, Soichi's Journal of Delights and Junji Ito's Cat Diary, Yan and Moo. And this is adorable because it's really just a self-parody about him and his wife living in their house with their two cats. Um, Which is where I really just bring up the fun fact that Junji Ito in person is the most unassuming. Like, the man doesn't look like he likes horror. He just looks like a nice old, like a a nice man. Uh, He did, what was it? Did he do the... Did he do the Dougie? He had a, an interview with oh, yeah. Crunchyroll. And he was doing the whip and he was yeah, doing the, whip. the nene. <laughs> yes, it was adorable. And like he was walking through the Winchester Mystery House doing this interview with Crunchy. And he was just like, my favorite band's the Beatles. And it was just like, he's he's not some dark gothic king like Stephen King. He's just He's just an adorable man who has two cats. And some and a kid, and he writes really terrifying things. Yeah, and he just looks like a grand, like like a like a cozy grandpa. Like I feel yeah. like I would expect him to like live in a cottage. Pretty much. <laughs> um, and the other thing too, we kind of mentioned it. Like one of the reasons, and I think Adrian, to like your point about it picking up in the West. I mean, the fact that it had an entire clothing line at Hot Topic that sold every single unit that it printed yeah that I like was, i was gonna ask about that too was, was that a new line that was or a new line that... it came out in 2019 okay. and it's gone now yeah gotcha because I, I wasn't because i don't think i'd ever seen that i mean i haven't been on a hot topic in years yeah but um yeah but i didn't know if that was like a new line or yeah not. no because uh, i'd never seen you wear that stuff that's cool Com- yeah i mean that makes a lot of sense completely though. new and he partnered with crunchyroll to do it and once it was sold it was sold and it I mean, it did extremely well, and I think that alone, whether it was because people knew who he was or the people were like, oh, this is really cool looking, I think that those are ways for people to get involved. Um, then as my fun fact before we give our final thoughts, 
director and my fa- actually my favorite director and who I have adopted as my tío, Guillermo del Toro, cited on his official Twitter account that Ido was originally a collaborator for the video game Silent Hills, which was supposed to be a sequel to Silent Hill, um, of which both del Toro and Hideo Kojima were the main directors on. However, a year after it was an, after the announcement, the project ended up being canceled by Konami. But Ido and Del Toro both have their likenesses in Kojima's Death Stranding. So if you play Death Stranding, you get to see a holographic Junji Ito. <laughs> I love that they're all friends. That makes yes. me really happy. Like I'm also those, if those are two people to be friends, that or three people to be friends, they're like they're they're a trinity of great people. Mm-hmm. I'm also always gonna be mad at Co- at like Konami for doing that. <laughs> yes, it's 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 frustrating. It's painful, <laughs> is what it is. Um, but yeah, so that's all I had on Junji Ito. Uh, we can give our final thoughts. Adrian and Matt, you can go first. Um, I mean. As most horror stuff we do, I'll probably never read this, but I know a bunch of people who who will. Um, so I'm excited to kind of like recommend this to some of my friends who might not be familiar with um, him, but are still like really big into like horror and stuff. So I'm hoping that it becomes bigger so Stefani can have someone to watch this stuff with because <laughs> given these pictures, uh, I mean, the chair, I think I can do the chair. Uh, I'm all right with that one. But the one about the dude aging, probably not. I don't like that. I don't like that one. Uh, and then the girl with like the half face, half. I don't like that picture either. <laughs> um, but it's it's cool. It's cool that it's getting bigger over here. I think that hot topic line, I think, is a really big indicator. I mean, not that like getting these web series and stuff isn't, but I mean, if people are selling out their clothing line at hot topic in this day and age, where people don't like to go to the malls and stuff, I think that's really really cool. I just hope it gets bigger so people like Kate and Sid can kind of have that here in the U.S. and not have to wait forever for translations to come out. Um, and I think Del Toro would make a great movie of some of this because I think he would kill it to bring this stuff to life. I mean, the fact that they're besties is why I would be okay with it. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I want it. Let's do an under one. Give him, give him Bioshock. Give him some of those fishy people who uh, want to come back and... <laughs> kill everybody i think that'd be dope there you go give it to me matt yeah i'm like with adrian i'm probably never gonna check this out um i don't read manga um or care for horror that much so not but i did learn a lot um obviously i'm with adrian also like i don't see why some of the chair stuff is that frightening um seems very logical and not (laughs) rational for a lot of the thinking here, um, but I mean, I guess it's horror and people freak out and they like it, so I mean, that's fun. Um, there's nobody lives in our attic. Um, I'm pretty sure the dog would have told us already. <laughs> that you know of. Danny Beatles up there right now. Yeah. Danny, ready to come out of a chair. See, the thing is, you're like, somebody lives in our attic, they'd be, dang, they would be dead. Nobody could live up yeah, there. It's hot today. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, but you know, I mean, cool, I guess it's coming to. The West, like a lot of things, seem to be as we talk about, and so and it's still growing. So we'll see where it goes. Um. Quick, if if you had if it came out and said Lothar was working with uh, Junji to adapt one of the things into uh, a movie, which one do you pick? Ooh, uh, I think I think Del Toro would kill Uzumaki. 
Yeah, I was about to say that. I think that would be yeah. his brand very much. It's, it's entirely his brand. Creepy town. Crazy visuals. Yeah, yeah. and like the, the fantastical. <laughs> I guess my and my, my final thoughts, I mean, this is this entire episode is really just my giant love letter to Junji Ito because I love him. I love what he's done for manga, for visuals, and for all the people that I know who love him especially in the horror community and i hope more people start reading him now that it's becoming more accessible i definitely think everybody should pick up shiver on uh, from viz media and that's available in bookstores and everything um or you know online because corona but uh you can find that there they also just released the junji ito collection today which is a giant art book so if you just want to look at really scary things pick that up too and come talk with me about it, because, uh, yeah, I love him. Uh, Sinya, what, what are your final thoughts? I'm in the same boat. I never really ever get to talk about Junji Ito in a big space or with someone who, like, knows him as well. I, the only other person is one of my best friends, Kelly. She got me one piece of the Junji Ito collection, but it, she was the person who showed me it in high school. She was like, why do they have this in our high school library? And I was like, I don't know. This is really weird. I'm very confused, but I love it. And for years, she's been one of the only people that I've ever talked to about Junji Ito. So to have you, Kate, invite me on and talk about, you know, his history and his publications and, like, how, like, his works, like affect you and like where we can have that kind of like bonding over like <laughs> very strange niche anxieties it's it's fun and I really hope that the horror community will embrace him as he starts to rise I think once Toonami has their anime adaptation up I think so many people are going to flock to him and I'm very excited to see that happen just to have more friends where I can be like oh my god yes someone else gets it <laughs> you're one of us <laughs> uh the doors are always open at the church of Junji Ito that's all I mm -hmm. will say um it's kind of creepy in here but we can all be in it together <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, Sinia, why don't you, one, thank you for coming on and talking with us, two, oh, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say thank you, oh, that's yeah. all, for coming on. Yeah, no, I'm so glad I'm here, I had, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the internets, don't forget to plug your book tube. Mm-hmm, I am everywhere on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter, at Sinia Reads, and that is c-i-d-n-y-a reads um and yeah i'm on there a lot i yell on twitter i post cool book pictures and yeah that's it <laughs> <laughs> awesome cool well as always if you want to help support the show a little bit more head on over to patreon.com slash but why though pc also you can find us on t public us and the site are now T Public Partners, so you can go pick up some But Why the merch uh, and really help us out that way if a monthly subscription is too much, which we get it, it's a lot. Or just keep showing us love on social media at But Why the PC on Twitter, Instagram, and all of the things. And you can find me on Twitter at Oh My Myth Randier. Adrian? Yep, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S U P E R R U I Z 93. Matt. I guess I'm just going to go rip my chair apart and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh.